All right, take your Bibles, and we're going to go to a lot of places tonight, so if you have turbo fingers tonight, it'll be helpful. A lot of different passages in our Bible study together tonight. To get you thinking about it, to just, I want you, to, you don't have to answer quickly, so it just comes right to your mind. But tell me a story or an episode, an event, a parable, what, what, anything you can think of, Old or New Testament, that has to do with, that has the element of hospitality in it. Let me just tell you this, there are a lot of them. And I know it's not going to be something you think about often, so it may think you, take you a little bit. But tell me anything, Old New Testament story that has hospitality in it. And if you're not sure, after a couple answers, I'll see if we're close to hospitality being the same page there. Yes? Yes, yes, yes. Zacchaeus showed Jesus hospitality. And he said, I must stay at your house today. Down the road, we're going to find out that word stay is a hospitality vocabulary word. So he basically said, Zacchaeus, come down. You got to show me hospitality today. I mean, Jesus basically invited himself over, right? And that wasn't unheard of if you are a rabbi, right? It seems like it's out of line in our culture, but it wasn't in theirs. Yes, Zacchaeus is a very prime one. What's another one? Yes. Yes, Mary and Martha. So you got Luke 19. Now you got Luke 10, right? Mary and Martha had Jesus out and and what was Martha doing? She was in the, in the what? In the kitchen doing what? What's our word? Hospitality, right? Where was Mary? Where would Mary normally have been? In the kitchen doing hospitality. And what did Jesus say when the two got compared to one another? Yeah, she took the part that won't be taken. Yeah, she, so Jesus said, hospitality is embedded in the Jewish culture. It's absolutely crucial, but sitting at my feet trumps it. Right? That's a good one. Yes? Uh, book Genesis, when uh, pre-incarnate visited Christ and Abraham. Okay. Abraham killed the bad of Ham. Yeah, so you got Abraham. Remember in Genesis 18, you got the, he is the paradigm pattern of hospitality where it all started. You look back, Abraham's the one everybody looks to, right? And he had the three angelic visitors, which may be the reference to Hebrews that concerns that one, right? That's a, probably the number one thought, yes. There are many more. Can you think of any? Yes, Dawn? Uh, when Peter's mother was sick and Jesus made her well so that she could take care of their needs. Yes, and she got well, Jesus healed her, and she made them all meals and a lot of hospitality, and they stayed overnight in her house, or Peter's house, right? Yes? Yes, that's a really good one. I didn't know if he wasn't come up with that one. That was really good. Joseph had, his brothers came to Egypt looking for stuff, didn't know Tim. He was very hospitable to them, took care of them, provided for them. Even after they Friday night, he found out it was him, he continued to be hospitable to them. That was a big deal, right? Yes? Yes, uh, uh, Acts 28, when they 
here on the island of Malta. Remember, he got bit by the snake. They thought he was going to be dead. Then they, when he realized he didn't die, he must be a god. And they, instead, they took very good care of them, very kind to them. In fact, we're going to find out over the series that Paul's ministry as a missionary depended on this hospitality that we're talking about, that he wouldn't have been able to do all that he did without it is that pivotal. Yes, very fantastic. Alicia. Yes, Jesus did. Eat with the tax collectors when Levi or Matthew got, became a follower of Jesus. And then they had all the tax collectors get together. They had a big feast and a banquet. Absolutely. Yeah, you're going to find that was one of the things Jesus got criticized for a lot was having those kind of meals. Yes. John Gaius, when he brought visitors in and put them prosper on their way. Yes. Yes, 3rd John, and there's also another one in 2nd John. In fact, one of the things about early New Testament is if you were a known uh, circulating preacher and you were not keeping the doctrines of Jesus correctly, the admonition is don't let them into your house. Meaning, and some people say, well, should I let um, um, <laughs> Jehovah Witnesses who come to my door, should I let them in my living room? That's really not the point of it is. The point of it is you don't bring them into your house and show them hospitality. In other words, you don't bring them in. They don't stay overnight. You don't do those things for people who are, I hate to say, heretics, okay? Good. What else? What else? Who said that? Where? Marriage feast. Marriage feast. Yes. That's how the Bible's going to end, right? Um, that's what Jesus is going to have, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Remember what Jesus said? Someday we're all going to sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Right? And all we're going to be gathered, and we're all going to sit at the same table. Hospitality. Um, Kins. Rahab, yes. Thank you. Stick with me on Sunday mornings, because we're going to get to Rahab in James chapter 2. Did you know that the expression of Rahab's justification, that she was actually saved, was how she welcomed in the spies to her house and took care of them, the hospitality she showed. That's the, the title. Remember, Saved by Faith and Hospitality. That, that's where that's drawn from. Yes. Ray. Yes. Uh, at the end of the book of Judges, Balaam's retreat is concubine. And it actually showed it twice by his father in law. We showed great hospitality by the man in the land of Benjamin. Yes. Yes. That's a very, very long, complicated story, but you're, that's a very good one. And by the way, the way that that whole story ends and so tragically ugly is where he throws his concubine out there and they sexually abuser and the killer that night and it just shows you that it's the message of the judges is there was no king and everyone did what was right in their eyes and that was expressed by an abuse of hospitality right Brent the Shunammite woman the Shunammite woman right did you say Shunammite right did I say <laughs> 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 no I try not to say Shunammite or something yeah. yes the Shunammite yes and that was which prophet very good. It's a little catchy that Elijah, Elisha are so much the same, right? Yeah, she, she was very good. That was another hospitality. Did I miss somebody? Yes. Um, I'm thinking about Paul. I'm thinking of Paul and Lydia. Yes. Yeah, Philippi, the whole church at Philippi started on a woman's hospitality. She says, if you judge me faithful, come and stay at my house. And she showed, they stayed there at the beginning. And then they stayed there at the end for a few more days. So that whole bookend of the whole Philippian experience was Lydia's hospitality. And you're going to find that out too 
um, it's a point worth mentioning is that normally, no matter if the woman offers the hospitality, the guy who's the head of the house has to okay it in the end. But we find more and more as we progress through the Bible that women are responsible for the hospitality. And, and it's a major factor in New Testament Christianity. Yes? Yes. You are just a good theologian tonight. Very nice. Yes. All the covenant meals. Even did you know when Moses went up on Mount Sinai to get the command, all that stuff, that he took the elders with them and they had a meal with God. That's one of the weird passages in Exodus, but they had a meal with God. She, and every time you have a covenant, there's a meal. In fact, the greatest covenant meal of all is, yes, the Lord's Supper, right? Good. You guys are really on sharp here tonight. Any other ones that come to mind? And you, you're just scratching the surface. I tell you, there's way more than this. Fander? Cornelius, when he sent for Maybe my favorite one. Acts 9 and 10, when God directs Cornelius, the first Gentile, right? Uh, so he goes to the uh, Peter's house. Remember, Peter gets the vision of how he's not to have that food's not unclean anymore, and he should associate with Gentiles. And that whole thing begins with Peter having hospitality and then hospitality at Cornelius' house. And the whole thing about reaching the nations, the Gentiles with the gospel is all coming out of someone being willing to be hospitable. Fantastic. Well, we could go on and on, and we will, actually, in the next few weeks. Um, but let me ask you, let me uh, have you get me, I'm going to give you some little bit of introductory stuff and a definition and then I want to tell you how important hospitality is on the level that we need to see it from Scripture. So the God of Scripture, and this is just my basic idea of the whole thing, the God of Scripture is a God of hospitality. He is a God that extends hospitality to us, and He requires us to embody hospitality to others. So let me tell you this, get in your mind off the bat if you're taking notes. Um, hospitality is reciprocal where it isn't biblical. In other words, we, why we feel compelled to be hospitable to people so much is because God has been hospitable to us. We're going to see, and I'm going to show you for the, from Luke-Acts, how you can actually understand the entire ministry of Jesus based on hospitality and having meals together. It's very much, in fact, you, when you'll see it, you'll go, how come I haven't seen that before? You can really organize Luke and Acts, which are written by Luke as well, both of them, you can see the whole flow of thought is based on hospitality, the whole two books together. And I'm going to show you that before we're done. Um, to be the church, that is our theme, and that's why we're doing this series. Um, to be the church is to be like God. Okay, number two. To be like God is to be hospitable. So I think my, my little uh, paradigm I'm building is, so it's okay to say this, then to be the church is to be hospitable. It is hospitable. Um, hospitality is, let me give you a definition. It is the act or process whereby the identity of the stranger is transformed into that of a guest. That's the goal of hospitality is to get strangers to become guests, to become friends. And we're going to follow that pattern. Now, there are a lot of scriptures, and I mean a lot 
about hospitality, its importance. I've already told you, if you want to turn there, you can. I know we're in Matthew 25. I want you to stay there. But Hebrews 11.31, Hall of Faith. James and Hebrews have quotations about the Rahab story that Mackenzie mentioned. And it says um, in 11.31, By faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient. What, what, why didn't she? Because she had given a friendly welcome. And the word welcome is the word that we get. It's a vocabulary word describing hospitality. So she had them into her house. And I'll tell you later on, we're going to use her as an example. There is hospitality protocol. It's going to get a little, I'm going to tell you right after, it's going to be a little sticky tonight. And when I get to the protocol, there are 15 different things that not all of them, but are part of the protocol of hospitality. And we're going to take the time to do them tonight. And here's why. Because when we go through each one of them, you'll start to see the stories of the Bible very, very more and it, uh, um, different and clearer than a way you ever had before, but you have to see the pattern of what hospitality was. Because when we make it clear in the Old Testament, and then when you come to the New Testament, you're really going to really get excited because it is a great study to see what God does in, in Jesus' life and the life of the church. So back to that Matthew 25. How important is hospitality? What if I told you that hospitality may be the difference between having eternal life and not having it. That's how important it is. So you know this passage backwards and forwards, I think. This is the judgment passage when Jesus is going to have, he talks in, in, in 25, Matthew 25, verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, he's going to have the sheep and the goats, and he's going to separate the people who are truly saved and truly not. Okay? And now he's going to tell you the difference between the two groups. Verse 34, the king will say to those on his right, who are the sheep, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Now, when you go down a little bit further, he's going to use the same phraseology, prepared. And he's going to tell you that the place that it's prepared for the devil. So hell is supposed to be for the devil, but people go there, Right? But God prepared it for the devil. But you may end up going there if you end up being like him. So think about that. So the things that we're going to find about that are true of the goats are descriptive of people who don't know God and even more so um, will end up in the place prepared for the devil. That, that's how strong the language is that Jesus uses. So let me go on. So what is it about them? These people who were prepared the kingdom from the foundation of the world, Right? Here's what it is. Four, see the connecting? Now he's going to tell you why they're going to be in. For I was hungry and you gave me food. Hospitality. See, I was thirsty and you gave me drink. Those are all major components of hospitality. Ready? I was a stranger. Exenon. It's the same word we get foreigner from. Stranger. Um, someone who's not, we would say from an American standpoint, you're not an American. You're outside of America. You're an outsider. So strangers, and, and here it is, underline it, and you welcomed me. That's the hospitality word par excellence, right? So you, when I needed food and drink, in fact, later on it's going to say clothing. These are what people did in Jewish times to be hospitable. And so here's what Jesus says. 
You know what the difference between having eternal life and not is the way that you received me. Now, now here's the thing that's so catchy. It's not really him that you were receiving. You weren't really giving Jesus himself the food or the drink or the hospitality. You weren't giving it him. What does he say? Because they ask him, when did we see you, Lord? When did we see you hungry and thirsty and a stranger? When did we have you invite you into our house and take you in? When did we do that? He says, when you did it unto the least of these, my brethren. So when you did it unto people who were poor and didn't have much as Christians and you took them in, see, you did it to me. Same concept when Saul of Tarsus was in Acts 9 was on the road to Damascus and Jesus shines the light and, and knocks him off his beast and he says, Lord, who is it? And he says, I'm Jesus of Nazareth whom you persecute. He wasn't persecuting Jesus, but what did Jesus, what was he saying? That when you do this to my followers, it's the same as if you were doing it to me. See that? Jesus is saying here, positively in this case, when you do these acts of hospitality to my people, it's the same as if you do it to me. But the converse is also true. So the people who are goats, the people who will not go into the kingdom, they'll go to the place prepared for the devil and his angels. What's true of them? Well, they saw Jesus hungry and thirsty and a stranger and needed hospitality and have him come in there, but they didn't do it. And they say, well, when did we see you not do it? Because you didn't do it for other people. So here's what Jesus says. When you stand before God, the way that you treated others will be expressive or demonstrative of the, what you really thought about God. And if you think that's not true, hold your finger here and let me show you some more about how hospitality proves that point. Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. Verses 1 through 5. Jesus, in this chapter, and the next chapter, chapter 10, I'm going to show you the same thing. Look what Jesus tells when he sends his disciples out on their first mission. And he called the twelve together, Luke 9, 1, and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, here's the instructions, ready? Take nothing for your journey. Purposely. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, and don't, not, don't have two tunics, no, no changes of clothes. Here's why. In whatever house you enter, hospitality. Stay there and from there depart. And what, wherever they do not receive you, it's the same word for welcome. If they don't welcome you, if they don't invite you in, and they don't consider you the guest and show you some hospitality... When you have leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet. That is a mannerism of judgment from God as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. So if people take you in, you tell them you represent me, great. If they don't, then you wipe the dust off your feet and that's God's judgment on them. Let me show you a little more detail of the same thing. Luke chapter 10. Here is what he says. Go your way, verse 3. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. See it again? Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals. Greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say this, shalom to this house. And if a son of shalom is there, your shalom will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you and remain in the same house. Here's hospitality. You got invited in, eating and drinking what they provide. For the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house, but stay with hospitality. Whenever you enter a town and they welcome you, there it is, eat what is 
set before you, heal the sick in it, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. But whenever you enter a town and they don't receive you, go into its streets and say this, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Later on, he tells them, if you don't receive us in and you don't give us hospitality because we represent Jesus, he says, it'll be better for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than it will be for you. (laughs) That's about as strong as you can say it, right? I mean, so what is hospitality? So here's the principle. When you show hospitality to the disciples of Jesus, you're showing it to him. But if you reject it and you don't want to listen to their message and you don't want to give them hospitality, you are rejecting Jesus. So that's how powerful the tool of and influential um, hospitality is in the New Testament. Let me show you a couple other passages in the New Testament before we get to the old. We're not going to get too far, I can see. But Romans chapter 12. How important is it in the New Testament? Now, for Jesus' disciples, it was a manifestation of their salvation. Here's what Paul says. 11 chapters of what God's grace and salvation are out. Now he's going to tell you, if you have this mercies of God that has given you salvation, here's what your life will look like. And that's what 12, 1 and 2 starts with. For by grace, verse 3 goes on to say, and he tells you what the grace of God looks like. And then he says, let me get real practical. And it says, everyday living, here's what your grace will look like. Verse 9, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Ready? And seek to show hospitality. So amongst all of those other things in that God says, this is how you know and prove and demonstrate that you're saved. One of them is showing hospitality is a huge point. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 2. It is so crucial, and we give you full permission to ask us as pastors, because the next two passages say that if you want to be a pastor, now again, Everybody says, well, if you're a pastor, you better be doctrinally sound. You better be morally pure. And those are the ones everybody cares about. And they're rightfully so. But you know what the Bible says that ought to be true of a pastor? Read it for yourself. 1 Timothy 3.1. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, bishop, pastor, they're all interchangeable. He desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, Sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, underline it, hospitable. It has to be true of his life. He has to be willing to have his home and his resources used for the benefit of other people. Titus chapter 1 and verse 8. Let me read verse 7. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but in contrast, hospitable. See it right there? So it is an absolute must if you're going to be a pastor. You have to have that, re- that requirement filled. 1 Peter 4 and verse 9, not just pastors, but people in the church. 1 Peter 4 and verse 9, and these are, by the way, 1 Peter is an epistle written to people who are in fiery sufferings. So they're having a lot of difficulty, but yet the admonition 
is still the same. 1 Peter 4, 7, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled, sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Here it is. Ready? Show hospitality to one another and don't do it with grumbling. Wow. He even has to tack on the attitude to make sure you got that part right. Right? Lastly, the one I refer to, Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. Let brotherly love continue. And there it is. Do not neglect to show hospitality. Don't put it off. Don't neglect it. Be part of it. Be active in it. Show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Meals, would you be, I think this is a pretty accurate statement. Meals shape us. How many of you grew up in a home where your family made a point of eating dinner together regularly? Raise your hand. You grew up that way. Okay? You don't have to raise your hand on this one. How many of you do it in your home? Don't say it all. Right? Um, I have found, my family did it all the time. We do it still to this day um, in my family. Eating together at dinner is a huge, you know why? It forms us and shapes us. I've said this before. Our, our dinners are never just dinners. They're always theological arguments and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Talk about everything under the sun. And, and then it's a great, great, it's not just dinner, but it's uh, all kinds of fun talk and just, you know, beating things around. And uh, it's a great time. But meals shape us. They, they form our lives. So much so that Martin Luther wrote a, not, not wrote, but he had a thing called table talk. And he would have people from his church come in uh, once a week, and he would have them go around his table, and they would sit there and talk theology. And it became super popular. Um, Legionnaire Ministries has a magazine put out called Table Talk. And you can get it. It's, it's just about, it's like a devotional type of thing. And we did it a number of years ago, probably, wow, probably eight or ten years ago now. I, I, I did it thinking like, oh, you know, this would be kind of cool, but I don't know if any people are going to come talk about theology. So we, we did it with the first week we had table talk. We had five people. And we were at, we were at Rosa's at the time. It's Amari's now. So we, did, we had pizza and we're talking. And then kind of got around and I just announced every week what the subject of theology we're going to talk about. So the next week, we went from 5 to 12, and then three weeks later, we had 32 people, and we couldn't even go to Amar, I mean, Rosa's anymore. And I thought, wow, this is crazy, how, how great, we just did it for the summer. How many people came to talk about, but like, a ton of people, and we had to actually ask, we were asked to leave, not because we were, because we were so loud that nobody could hear anybody else in the restaurant because we were talking so loud. But it was so, it was great. And I, I was thinking about, wow, we should probably do that again sometime. But table talk shapes us. Now, think with me. Some of the greatest events in your entire life and in people in our culture, you don't have to be a Christian to be true, are celebrated and includes meals. Tell me a great event that meals are part of. If you're Baptist, I know it's a part of everything, but go ahead, yes. Weddings. Weddings. If you, a wedding always has a meal. What else? Say it again. Birthdays. Have meals. Graduations have meals. What else? Yes. Oh, yes. Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving has a meal. That's a holiday. Yeah, that's even better, right? Christmas. Let's keep going, right? Easter. Easter. How many of you have ham? No, I'm not going to get into ham and turkey. All right. What else? What other events take place? You have a, a, a meal. Weddings. 
So I'm going to give somebody else a chance, buddy. Yes. A funeral, absolutely. Say that again. Baby showers. I mean, what doesn't have food in it, right? I mean, that might be an easier answer question. Yes. I can't hear. I'm sorry. Yes, Independence Day. Cookout, right? Did you have a cookout? How many have hamburgers and hot dogs this weekend? Yeah, pretty good, yeah. A lot of them. Family dinners, anniversaries, retirement parties, a lot of them. Now, we have 10 minutes left, and what I want to do is I'm going to, if you want to write them down, I'm going to give you them, and then I'm going to give you the passages, and you're going to have to write like crazy if you have pen and paper. I'm going to give you the protocols that not everyone has every one of these in it, but there you're going to see a pattern. That's the point. All right? So I'm going to give you a protocol for what happens when people so, show hospitality in the Bible so that when you read the passages and start seeing the, these patterns, you'll understand what's happening, right? Okay, here they are. And it, it's a smattering of all the uh, Bible stories and events that you said had hospitality in it and others, all right? So I'm going to give them to you fast because they said before there's 15 of them. All right? And, and please write these down or listen to this again. And maybe next week I'll have it on a piece of paper or on a slide so you can see it. But if you don't get this or have this by your side, the study won't be as meaningful. So let me give them to you. Number one, when you have hospitality in the Bible, strangers seek hospitality, if you're Jewish, from relatives or close friends. Okay? Very rarely in the Bible would an Israelite want to get hospitality or ask it from someone who wasn't Jewish or a family member. So they won't do Gentile stuff, right? That's just not what they do. In fact, remember the Levite and concubine story? He wouldn't go into uh, the city because it was a Jebusite city, which was a Canaanite city. So he waited to go to Gibeah because Gibeah was a Jewish um, town. So number one, you'll notice this. And so when, why is that important? I.e., example, so when Peter has Cornelius in his house, he's breaking 1,500 years of tradition. That's why you need to know that one. Okay? Number two, travelers hope to find a host at a public place. Now, I'm going to give you some examples. Ready? Travelers want to find hospitality if they need to spend the night. And they, and they go to places to get it. If you are in a rural area, I mean, you're out in the country, so to speak, you're not in town, you will go to a well to find it. I.e., now you can get this, now in the story of Jesus and the woman at the well. Why would Jesus go there? Because if you're looking for hospitality, remember when um, Abraham sent his servant to find a wife for Isaac? Where does Isaac go when he gets to the community he goes to a well, right? And when he goes to the well, he's going to find people there, and people will offer hospitality. So when Moses leaves Egypt, where does he go to? He go, where does he meet Zipporah? At a well, because that is Jethro's well, and he goes there. And so when you're in the country, and you're looking for hospitality, you go to the well because you're going to find Jewish people there or people of the land who are hospitable, and you can try to find someone who would be willing to have. In fact, I'll tell you in a minute, people will come to the well at certain times of the day, and you would ask them. And you have, there's a certain question protocol, and you're going to 
kind of be freaky when you find all this in the Bible, right? But that's how it is. So you went to wells if it was urban, I mean rural, but if it was urban and you went to the city, you went to the gate or the square. So when Lot shows hospitality to the two angels that come to his house who want to get him out of there before God destroys Sodom and Gomorrah, they are sitting in the city square and he's sitting in the gate. And so they come to him. He actually, the Bible says, runs up to them and asks them who they are and what they're doing and he wants to give them hospitality and he says you can't stay in the town square tonight because he knows what goes on in his town. Right? But that's where you would go if you went to a city. You'd go into the square and the town and you would look there and eventually people would come up to you and offer hospitality. That's how it worked if you were Jewish. All right? Next one, number three. When you are the host and you're going to offer hospitality, you do it quickly and hastily and you run at times. And you'll find that many of the stories we're going to talk about, Old and New Testament, remember what, Je- what did Jesus say? I think it was Elaine. Zacchaeus is your example, right? What did Jesus say to Zacchaeus when he said, you're going to have hospitality, I'm having hospitality at your house today? What did he tell him to do when, when he's in the sycamore tree? Come down, how though? Yeah, I said, quickly, come down. Because if you're, you know why you want him to come down quickly? Because if you were really delighted and excited to do the hospitality, you would show it by getting it ready. Abraham in Genesis 18, right? He has the three strangers come. And, and five times in that little text in Genesis 18, the hurry word is used in Hebrew. Hurry, do this. Sarah, hurry, get this animal. Go fix this. Do you know why? Because you're excited to show hospitality. That's why First Peter says, do it without grumbling. In other words, don't, oh, I'm gonna, you know, no, if you're really a good host, you're going to do it with the right attitude. So the strangers run to do things. Number four, um, they don't delay the stranger any longer when it's time to leave. So I looked at this whole thing. Normally, people would stay overnight one night. There are a couple times when it's two or three nights. Anything beyond that would be very rare. And the fact that you think, well, you find out that hospitality has gone bad, again, Levi concubine story, is the guy talks his, his, uh, the, his daughter and her, her husband to stay three and then four and then five days, and it was too long. And so, again, there, it's not that there aren't times where people are hospital longer than that, but it's because it was their idea, not the strangers. But most of the time, you don't delay the people. You send them on their way. Keep all that in mind. Doesn't sound important, but it will be. Um, number five, um, often associated with God or angels. And the, the admonition in Hebrews is correct because when they did it, God, angels, messengers from God were often some of the people that you showed hospitality to. Number six, um, they may, the guest that you're keeping in your house may represent someone else. And so when this, the person sent there, like the, the servant represented Abraham, and Jesus represents God, and so forth and so on. So there's also sometimes the person that's asking for hospitality is representing somewhere else. Rebecca gave hospitality to Isaac and said, come to our house, but she was representing her father. All right? Number seven, what happens when you uh, come to give hospitality is the guest when they receive the hospitality and they're invited into home, will often, this is Asian culture, you will often bow down really low to the ground and it shows your humility and gratitude for doing it. You're going to find out that that's very often true. Number eight, hospitality is guaranteed when you are invited into the house. That's the key. If they invite you in the house, you know you're in. Important to know. 
What do they do when you get in and you're invited in? Here's the things. Mark these down. They provide water for you and your animals. They provide water and they wash your feet. They anoint your head with oil. They prepare you a meal. And if they have it, they'll give you a guest room. I.e., you remember Simon the Pharisee and Jesus in Luke 7 is invited there for a meal. And he comes in and none of the hospitality protocol, Simon doesn't do anything for him. But the woman who's a street woman comes in because they had open, they had open porta, like porticos where you'd have a big open area and then they had windows into the house and you could come in the area. The whole city people could come in. They weren't allowed to go in the house. They weren't supposed to anyways, but they could watch the windows so they could watch all the rich people and the important people eat dinner and listen to their conversation. It was a big deal. And so Simon the Pharisee has this, but this woman doesn't stay on the outside. She's watching. Jesus is in there. He must have had some sort of conversation with her because she's all broken up. So she comes in and she wipes her tears with, you know, Jesus' feet with her tears and gives, and all the things that Simon didn't do. He didn't wash Jesus' feet. He didn't give him a kiss when he came in. He didn't anoint his head with oil. He did none of the things and she does all of them. And the idea is, Simon, you're really bad at hospitality. And here's this woman who's a sinner who's really good at it. And the difference between having Simon the Pharisee, no faith in Jesus, rejecting him, and this woman who's a poor sinner who loves Jesus is the difference is hospitality. Hospitality. Number 10. Host asks the, about the identity of the traveler after after they invite them in and give them food. You don't ask the person who they are because that would determine you might not want to have them in if you asked who they were, but you did it because it was right. And so you're going to find out that when Jesus does hospitality and people have him over, Simon has Jesus over, doesn't give him hospitality, but later asks him about Jesus' identity. He can't be a prophet because he wouldn't let this kind of woman touch him. And you're going to find all of these things to be true in the stories, especially in the New Testament. Number 11, the host protects the guests during their stay. You have to protect the people that you invite into your house. And that's why Lot had such a strong, he had to protect the angels when the men came beating at his door. The Levite and the concubine, it was their job to protect them. And, that, and sometimes if you didn't, then you were not a very good host at all. Number 12, the stay is usually short, which I said. Number 13, if a relationship is established with people, then they may return back through the area and be hospitable, and you may get a friendship out of it, right? Elijah and the Shunammite woman. Every time Elisha would go back to that area, he would stay there with her. Jesus did that. And by the way, I think it's the reason why when Jesus mystically says, go into town and, and on the Passover, and you're going to find this guy, and he has, uh, uh, you know, this in his hand, and then you're gonna, he's going to show you the upper room. It was what? Hospitality, because they let Jesus have the upper room. They provided the food for him to have the Last Supper, and they gave him the upper room, which was probably for a rabbi, and Jesus had a relationship with them, and obviously they were friends, and that's what hospitality is supposed to do. Last, two last things. Reciprocity is always true. And that's why when the angels come and Lot protects them, then the Lord does something for him. He protects them. Abraham and Sarah show hospitality to the three strangers who are angels and Jesus. And what do they do? Sarah's barren and reciprocity is they give him a child. And on and on and on it goes about how when you show hospitality and you, you welcome God in, then God welcomes you and does something for you. That's always the case. And lastly, let me just finish off with this. 
you have to escort them out of town. So you're going to see Paul numerous times. He has hospitality to people, and then they walk him to the next city over to where he's going next to make sure that no one bothers him on the way. Because when you walked by yourself, you had a bigger chance, like the Samaritan left half dead on the side of the road, you have a bigger chance of being uh, accosted. Those are the 15 things we're going to go over again. I'm just glad I wanted to get those done tonight. But we're going to look at next week, Lord willing, we're going to start looking at all the examples of the Old Testament and then all the ones in the New Testament. And along the way, we're going to find out how important it is for the mission of our church to welcome others because we've been welcomed by God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much just for this Bible study tonight, just to lay some of the groundwork for where we're headed down the road and some of the applications and illustrations and how... Lord, we pray that because we've opened our house and our hearts to others that we might see lives changed as we've seen in these Bible stories. Lord, we cannot stop tonight, uh, this Bible study, until we say thank you for welcoming us into your house. In fact, you said that you went to prepare a place for us. And in your house, your Father's house, are many dwellings and there's plenty of room and you're going to show us hospitality for eternity. And we look forward to that day when we sit down with you and Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But Father, I pray that that t- table of fellowship would start now. That we would love sinners, that we would love outsiders, and that we would invite them into our lives and into our space, into our homes, and most of all, into the gospel fellowship of Jesus. And we ask this in his name. Amen.